to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. For many years, Ulysses S. Grant was regarded by historians and the public alike as among the worst United States presidents ever. That view has begun to change among historians, if not the public, but the ingrained prejudice against the Grant administration is so deep that, as one observer pointed out, to tell the truth about him sounds like unreasoning adulation. We'll find out some of the truth about U.S. Grant as president from Charles Calhoun, author of The Presidency of Ulysses S. Grant, tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, Dr. Civil War Talk Radio, as I am known at the Civil War Trust for some reason. Uh, Coming to you as usual from the third floor of the Brewster Building, Office A320, a number that will be familiar to tonight's guest, 
not, however, speaking for the office, the history department at East Carolina University, or anybody else, nor will my guest speak for anyone but himself, as we always do here on Civil War Talk Radio. It's the second show of 2018, January, a cold night here in eastern North Carolina. Uh, Snow is falling outside as I look out the window. Not a lot of snow, a few scattered flakes. They don't seem to be sticking. But the mere threat was enough to have classes canceled this afternoon at 4 p.m., send everybody home, go out, buy milk and bread or whatever people buy when they think snow is going to fall. Uh, I'm here because I'm not afraid of a few flakes. Uh, I am afraid of the people I will encounter driving home in those flakes, but we'll, we'll see about that later. I'm hoping that classes will not be canceled uh, tomorrow because then I would have to redo my syllabus for a Thursday morning lecture. Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays are the teaching days that I have this semester. Uh, I mentioned that last week, and I'm still recovering from the burn administered by last week's guest, Terry Alford, uh, who has taught community college history for many years, and he observed when I said something about Tuesday, Thursday scheduled, he pointed out his community college colleagues, and he uh, they don't just teach two days a week. Uh, so I deserve that, and I respect very much what he does and what anyone does who teaches every day, five days a week, high school teachers, for example. Uh, my wife, Emily, teaches high school English. Uh, when I came home this first Tuesday of the semester, I had uh, classes more or less continuously from 9.30 till uh, after 4 in the afternoon, and I came home exhausted, and she had, uh, I will say, limited sympathy for that, uh, inviting me to uh, cry a river over it, because that's what she does every day, as do high school teachers everywhere. So uh, I, I don't get it. That, that's, that's just hard work. Uh, our moving on from uh, topics of uh, education. It is time to start thinking about vacation, not mine, but yours. The Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours is setting up this year's This Hallowed Ground Tour in May of 2018. If you're interested, please check out their website, stephenambrosetours.com, and uh, sign up. Come along. Uh, We will be exploring battlefields in the Eastern Theater. Always a fascinating time. Over the past winter break, I took a a break from Civil War history reading and read, uh, for the first time actually, the the book Band of Brothers by Stephen Ambrose, and ended up watching then the HBO series on it. Now I'm excited about signing up to take the Band of Brothers tour of Europe as soon as I win the lottery, uh, or the ship comes in in some other form. I I plan to do that uh, with, with Emily. It looks like a really interesting thing to do. Also interesting are the shows coming up on Civil War Talk Radio. Next week, we have a guest, just got him on the schedule today, Steve French, author of a brand new book called Phantoms of the South Fork, Captain McNeil and His Rangers. Uh, Everybody's heard of Mosby's Rangers, but McNeil's Rangers don't always get talked about. We'll learn something about them next week. On the 31st of January, Michael Hill is a co-author of an atlas on 
of, of North Carolina at war, not just military maps, but all kinds of information. Uh, the Old North State at War is the title. Very interesting publication. And then we move into February. John Matsui joins us to talk about the Army of Virginia, the short-lived army under John Pope. He's titled his book, The First Republican Army, and I gather we'll learn about the politics as well as the military uh, affairs of that organization. On the 14th, we'll get a return visit from Dan Crofts. He's been on the show before. His most recent book, Lincoln and the Politics of Slavery, is about the 13th Amendment that was not ratified, the one at the start of the Civil War that was a last-ditch compromise attempt. Following that, on the 21st of February, Paula Whitaker has written about Julia Wilbur, a civil life in an uncivil time, Julia Wilbur's struggle for purpose. Who was Julia Wilbur? Listen and find out. On the 28th of February, Eric Lee Smith, a game designer who has designed games on the entire Civil War and on individual battles like Gettysburg and Pea Ridge, uh, will be with us to talk about some new work he's doing, both in computer format and board game format. And then we'll take our usual spring break for a week. Guests following spring break, a couple who are lined up, Matt Borowick uh, will be here to discuss Civil War roundtables. And Michael Fitzgerald writes about Reconstruction in Alabama, from Civil War to Redemption in the Cotton South. So lots of interesting books, good books, some I've already read and and excited to talk about, others looking forward to reading. Hope you can join me for all of those shows. To find out who's up next or who's after that, always check out www.impedimentsofwar.org. Mark Gaffney is the webmaster and also the Facebook page uh, uh, administrator so you can go to Facebook and look for impediments of war and find out who's going to be on the show and when you're at the web page click on any of the book covers there it'll take you to Amazon buy the book there or buy anything there once you've clicked in through the show and it supports the Civil War Talk Radio website so I hope you can consider doing that and while you're at it consider donating directly to the show at the website, there's a PayPal donation button. It sends money to civilwartr at aol.com. It's a way to indicate uh, that you're getting something out of the show, that you're uh, interested in supporting the book purchasing habit that I have, which I return by encouraging you to buy books that you have no room to store and no time to read, but eventually you'll get to them just as I will get to my big unread pile someday. So with that in mind, we'll cut the chit-chat short and move forward to our guest tonight. He is uh, Dr. Charles Calhoun, the Thomas Harriet Distinguished Professor of History Emeritus at East Carolina University, Uh, now retired, now living in the District of Columbia. Uh, Chuck, are you there? I am here, Jerry. How are you? Good. Good to hear your voice. Uh, We've not... uh, spoken except to set up the show for for a little while uh i hope you are not getting tonight's snowstorm uh up there in dc we had a little dusting last night but uh it's just very very cold here well before we begin if you don't mind i'd like to uh take a moment 
just to say thank you to you and to your colleagues in the history department, my former colleagues, uh, who've been so helpful in uh, my uh, pursuit of this project, now a book in hand, and um, I'm just very grateful for all the support you were able to give me while you were chair of the department and the support uh, my colleagues gave me. I'd also like to mention former Chancellor Steve Ballard, who was always uh, a nice cheerleader for for the work that I was doing at the, at the university. And I would also mention the folks in Joyner Library uh, who were always helpful, particularly the interlibrary loan people, uh, William Gee and, and uh, Rebecca Harrison, who were unfailing in their help to me. So I'm, I'm grateful to a lot of people in Greenville who, who made this possible. Well, that, that's very nice to hear, and, and the the Joiner Library folks deserve every bit of credit for all the help they give all of us. Uh, Emily and I were having dinner at uh, Starlight, uh, Greenville's only decent restaurant, uh, on Saturday, and Steve Ballard and, and Nancy Ballard came in and had a little chat with them. He's no longer chancellor, and uh, I'm no longer chair, and we're both a lot happier. We we agreed on that. Um, right. And you're no longer uh, uh, <laughs> reporting here at all. I'm guessing you're the happiest of all. Uh, Could be. Uh, before we go further, while we're doing this, uh, Emily says hi to you and Bonnie and hopes you're doing well. Uh, and, and she and, returns the, the, the compliment and, and says hello as well. So uh, at this point, our listeners are going, okay, you guys, let's talk about U.S. Grant. Um, We talked about this book five years ago to the week. I was surprised how long ago it was uh, when uh, we we talked about it as an ongoing project on the show. And I thought, well, I'm suspending the five-year rule. I'm bringing Chuck back right away. And I looked up. It was exactly five years ago. Um, Well, let me start with you. Just just made it by a few days. let me start with the elephant in the room. Uh, in the last, uh, you've been working on this book uh, for eight years, at, at least, uh, that I recall, uh, in the very office that I'm sitting in right now, and doing enormous labor in original archives, uh, in, in, in research, looking at, at documents and papers no one else has looked at, and put together just a, a really remarkable history of the administration of U.S. Grant that uh, I, I cannot recommend highly enough. You. As you cross the finish line, um, a well-known, popular uh, historian came out with a, uh, a big book about U.S. Grant. And I, I'm not going to embarrass you by asking you to comment on that, but I do want to say two things. Uh, one is, I haven't read that book yet, but a historian whose judgment I very much respect uh, communicated with me that that book contains nothing new about U.S. Grant and quite a bit that is wrong. So, uh, listeners, I'll just leave you to ponder that. Uh, and second thought is, I was once working on a book where someone came out with a book on a related topic in the middle of my project. It wasn't as, as big as yours. But I remember my editor saying, you don't want the first book on the topic, you want the best book on the topic. And uh, I, I think you've got that here. I appreciate that. Still, it must be tough with the, uh, uh, the, the timing coming out the way it did. Well, you know, some, some people say um, th- there's such a thing as coattails in this, in this profession. But uh, I like to think that maybe we have uh, 
I'd like to think we have the same audience. Uh, the other book may have a slightly larger audience than mine, but but um, I th- certainly think we have a different approach to doing history, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I felt, as, as you've mentioned, the obligation in preparing this uh, fairly lengthy study of the Grant administration to resort to primary uh, sources. I think the other book, maybe not as much. Um, and, and I did that because... It seemed to me, as you as you know, and maybe some of your listeners know, this this book actually is part of a series from the University Press of Kansas called the uh, American Presidency uh, series, and uh, most of the books in that series tended to be uh, based on secondary works. And when I was asked to do the book, I was honored, of course, but uh, but I realized that. One could not really do justice to the administration uh, consulting only secondary works, trying to synthesize them for a couple of reasons. One is that that you have, in a way, two strains of interpretation about Grant over the years. One was the, the negative interpretation that really got generated in the late 19th and early 20th century. Um, at the same time, people were putting up Confederate monuments uh, and uh, uh, touting the lost cause, uh, Grant was seen by those very same people as as very much uh, um, an enemy, if you will. But but more than that, uh, the, the part of the lost cause uh, business and the and the uh, Jim Crow settlement, as I like to call it, uh, in that era, the early 20th century was a denigration of Reconstruction, that Reconstruction was a time of terrible oppression, uh, raising up the, the, the uneducated and uneducable black man to rule over uh, whites. Uh, and this was all part of a larger uh, settlement of race relations in the United States, and, and the Confederate monuments were put up at that time as part of this. Um, so the books that were coming out about Grant in that era uh, partook of that kind of interpretation, Dunning and so forth. And, and uh, obviously I, I couldn't really do much with that as far as a synthesis was concerned. Um, more recently, there have been several biographies of Grant, as, as we all know, of varying qualities, I might say, varying quality. Um, Chuck, but, let, let, me step in. let me just step in for a minute. And we need to take a short break and come right back, talk more about the presidency of Ulysses S. Grant with our guest tonight, Charles W. Calhoun. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. All around the outermost rim of the shield, 
he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. We're talking tonight with Charles W. Calhoun, author of The Presidency of Ulysses S. Grant, a uh, magisterial work on a presidency that traditionally was regarded by many uh, in a negative light. And Chuck, you were pointing out that uh, part of that grows from the lost cause scholarship that denigrated Reconstruction. Uh, and you were saying as we took a break there that there are also recent books that uh, – that, that, that don't really provide a good base for to build on. Right, right. I was uh, making the point that the new biographies have come out, and, and Grant's reputation has certainly gone up um, in the last 20, 30 years, largely because of uh, the civil rights movement when there's been a reevaluation of Reconstruction, whereas Grant previously was considered an oppressor, if you will. Uh, now he's considered something of a hero of... Um, of Reconstruction and a great defender of blacks' rights. Um, so, as I was saying earlier, it would seem to me to be—it seemed to me impossible to sort of synthesize those two very different uh, interpretive strains. And uh, I didn't find either one entirely satisfactory. The latter, although I think the point about Reconstruction makes sense, um, those authors, the biographers, tend to come to the to a, a grant project more interested in his military career and really kind of shortchanged the, the presidential years and, and uh, overlooked many of the important issues. So that didn't lend itself to, to synthesis either with, with that earlier strain. So it, it seemed necessary to me to go back to the original sources. And, and it took me a long, long time, as, as you know as, as well as anyone, uh, that it was a long research haul. But... Uh, but um, I tried to touch all bases. There were so many controversies in the Grant administration that um, I think required um, reevaluation and, and close examination that um, I tried to, 
to to get at all the facts I could and 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 um, and put them together in some rational way. And um, that meant part of the reason the book is as long as it is. It meant having to discuss many of these questions in some detail. Uh, just to try to clear up uh, many of the controversies that did mark that presidency. Well, let's take one of those just as an example. And, and the book, as you say, touches on many such controversies, but one uh, that came up relatively early in Grant's presidency was the attempt by some New York speculators to corner the gold market in 1869, uh, buy up uh all the gold on available, drive the price up, and then make a lot of money selling it. Uh, this, well, first let me ask a technical question about it. You point out that the the low, uh, well, that the low gold price uh, that was prevailing at the time was caused partly by the fact there were still also greenbacks circulating as well as gold. There were two forms of money in the country. And you suggest that uh, when the price of gold goes down, that causes a tightening of the money supply. And this is just a student question. Can you explain why low gold price would mean less money instead of more? Well, um, <laughs> it's, it's the availability of, of, of greenbacks that we're really concerned about here. Okay. Um, and, and what we're looking at... Today we talk about devaluing a country's currency, mm-hmm. and what that what that means is uh, the price of the of the currency is uh, relatively low, so you can uh, people can get your currency relatively easily, and um, foreigners can get your currency relatively easily, and and um, buy products in your country. This is what uh, you know. Recently, was accused the Chinese were accused of doing this, uh, suppressing the price price of their currency so that people would easily get a hold of the yuan and and and, uh, and buy uh, imports from from China and and so that that um, is what Jay Gould and Jim Fisk tried to to uh, do with with uh, well that's the way they tried to sell their project to grant that is to say um, by um, uh, suppressing the uh, by but by, by making gold cheap uh, or making the dollar cheap, really, making gold go farther. Foreigners who have gold can get a lot more greenback dollars. Those greenback dollars can be uh, used to purchase uh, farm products in the United States, and American farmers will make out like bandits in uh, uh, in uh, foreign exchange. That is, they'll be able to export their products much more readily. Uh, so, so it's it's all part of a game to to try to. Uh, increase one's exports. That's the way Jay Gould and Jim Fisk tried to sell this project to to Grant. If you do this, uh, if the United States Treasury doesn't sell gold in the in the gold market in in New York and suppress the price of gold in terms of greenbacks, then uh, American exports will go up and everybody will be happy. What they were really about, though, was to try to drive the price of gold up in terms of greenbacks, yes, that would still work with the export argument. But what they hoped to do was drive that price way up, buy as much gold as they could, and then sell that gold. Um, why would they sell it? Because there, there were two important needs, uh, there were two important ways in which people needed gold at that time. One was to pay customs duties, and one was to pay um, 
um, uh, export exchanges. Um, uh, um, and so um, if, if uh, they could drive that price up, once it hit a certain level, lots of folks in the United States, uh, particularly the merchant class, needed the gold to make their various exchanges and pay their customs duties. Uh, would have to pay a much higher price to, guess who, Jay Gould and Jim Fisk, who had cornered the market. Um, the point is, is, the controversy was that the um, story was that Grant uh, was completely snowed by Jay Gould and Jim Fisk, that he, that he bought into their uh, plan and, and, and uh, was really kind of uh, duped by them. Um, and that he eventually said, okay, yeah, we won't sell Treasury gold uh, so that the, the price will go up. How does Treasury gold fit into this? If, if the Treasury Department put gold into the market, that would tend to uh, uh, suppress the price in terms of greenbacks. So uh, what Jim Fisk and Jay Gould wanted him to do was not to sell gold in the, uh, in the gold market in New York. And so they did meet with him a couple of times, uh, but every time, and this is, this is where the story gets controversial, uh, the, the standard story was that he went along with him and he stopped gold sales and, and that would help drive the price up. In fact, if you read the account in the investigating committee, the testimony, which I read, all you know, many hundreds of pages of it, what you mm-hmm. find is that Grant met with Jay Gould and Jim Fisk uh, quite by accident, just a few times. Every time they tried to get him to stop the sale of gold, treasury gold in the uh, gold market, uh, he refused. The gold sales were never stopped by the Treasury Department. Uh, this, at, at one point, Gould and Fisk were able to, on their own hook, jack the price up to some extent that would, would go along with their, with their aim toward a, making a killing at a high price. Um, when that spike came, Grant uh, increased gold sales, not stopped them, increased them, and their, their game came to an end. Uh, it's a complicated picture, a story, to say the least, but um, the image that has come out of this is that Grant was a sucker for these guys when, in fact, uh, he was not, and he did not uh, 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 go along with their, with their plot. Well, that's really what comes out in your your recounting of it. Uh, you, you said you show Grant never actually agrees to do anything they want him to do. Uh, he he doesn't stop selling gold or order the Treasury to stop selling gold on the open market. He doesn't increase the sale of gold as some in the administration wanted him to do. But that's not the same as stopping the sale altogether. He keeps selling it, and and ultimately the corner fails, and these two speculators are, are ruined. But they, they, they don't get away with their ploy. When I read this, I read your account, and then I, out of curiosity and to, to see that I was understanding it correctly, I looked online at a few just very popular type sources, and I was amazed at the contradictory information they contained, uh, saying the things you just said, that they portray Grant as a dupe, uh, or they said contradictory, self-contradictory things uh, in you know that that Grant did the same something, and then the next paragraph says he didn't do it. You don't see this with Abraham Lincoln or with Ulysses S. Grant as a general. Uh, if there's wildly contradictory, inaccurate information, 
about Civil War topics, there's an army of Civil War uh, scholars and readers and enthusiasts who will correct it, but we don't have that with Grant, and so this stuff just sits out there, giving this false impression that, that Grant was uh, not successful in dealing with the gold corner. His brother-in-law was involved, apparently, but uh, but you show that the brother-in-law had no influence either, so uh, uh, really a uh, remarkable story. Yeah, well, I think I think part of the problem is it's a laziness on the part of some historians, I hate to say, but but Henry Adams wrote an article about this whole episode um, soon after it happened. It was actually it was based on the on the um, the uh, testimony, the, the report of the of the House Committee that looked into this, but it was completely distorted. And instead of looking at the House um, report. What most historians have done is just sort of taken the short route and read Henry Adams' article. Henry Adams hated Grant. Henry Adams wanted a job from Grant. He didn't get one, and he was determined uh, to make Grant look as bad as possible. And so uh, many books, including one quite recent, relied uh, wholly on the Adams uh, article with its distortions about uh, what Grant did in that episode. And and it's that that's where the origin of Grant the Dupe really is uh, in in the Gold Corner uh, episode. Now, Adams is an interesting character. Uh, your book has uh, certainly the protagonist is U.S. Grant. It's about his administration. If there's a a countervailing character, the the enemies of of Grant, uh, one of them is is Adams. Adams is a New England patrician, uh, con- in, in contrast to the Midwestern common man that Grant is. But the person you describe as the sorest of the soreheads about Grant uh, is, of course, Charles Sumner, the senator from Massachusetts. In uh, Maybe my favorite line in, in the book is where you point out that Sumner never could speak of Grant without pronouncing his name, uh, New England style, Grant. Uh, exactly. It, it, I, I don't know where you found that tidbit, but it, it says volumes about how Sumner thought of Grant. and, and uh, Yeah, uh, Sumner, Sumner, of course, is a, is a very interesting man. Uh, he was a, you know, an abolitionist during the 1950, uh, 1850s, uh, was beaten in the Senate for his cause and all of that. Uh, and uh, you know is is still regarded as a great hero of black rights, but but he was also a, a gigantic egomaniac, uh, very egotistical, um, and uh, really thought he ought to be Secretary of State. Some people thought he wanted to be president, elect, elected president in '68. He didn't get nominated, of course, but but he wanted to be Secretary of State. Didn't get it. Uh, then he thought he ought to influence this administration. Sumner actually had very little respect for military men in general. He thought the the Civil War was won in the United States Senate, not on the battlefield. And um, uh, he he never could quite uh, or even come close to accepting the notion that uh, that this man, this mediocre man from the West who had no training other than the military arts, uh, which were, of course, of, of a secondary nature, 
had any capacity really to run a government as, as Charles Sumner certainly did. So it was a reflex. Anything Grant would put up, uh, Sumner would oppose. And, and um, it, 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 it's a tragedy, really, because uh, uh, Sumner, in many ways, was a great man, but he couldn't, couldn't see his way clear to, to ally himself with Grant in many of the things that they agreed upon. Uh, and and uh, and the result that I think he he destroyed his own effectiveness in the Senate and and tainted the president's reputation in perpetuity. Well, he he does fall out, fall out bitterly with with Grant. You point out that the issue where where they first become political opponents. Well, it's not the first one. Uh, there are many issues, as you say, almost reflexively. Uh, Sumner opposes what Grant does, but Grant was very interested in. Annexing Santo Domingo to the United States, uh, one of right. the projects that didn't come to fruition. We have just a minute before the break. Um, let me set this up, and 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 we'll come back and talk about it. All right. Um, here's here's a, a thought to to ponder. Uh, Santo Domingo is next to Haiti uh, on the same island. Haiti, our, our current president tells us, uh, is is a pit of excrement style country. Uh, Grant thought it was uh, Santo Domingo was much better than that. Here's my thought: Many people today think, describing countries as a pit of excrement, uh, is is a terrible way for a president to behave. Are we being all Charles Sumners today? Uh, is is real Americans use obscenity all the time? Uh, Sumner thought Grant was uncouth, uh, but in fact, he was a real man of the people. Uh, is this an echo we're seeing today? Uh, I'll let you ponder that. We'll come back in, in uh, just a minute and talk more with Charles W. Calhoun, author of The Presidency of Ulysses S. Grant. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. 
That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Chuck Calhoun, author of The Presidency of Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, We left off with the idea that... uh, much of the opposition to Grant in his presidency came from uh, elite New England patricians like Charles Sumner or uh, Henry Adams or other members of the Adams family. Uh, and I'm just throwing out the idea, is there any parallel uh, in, in contemporary culture? Is, is that a ludicrous thing to say? Well, uh, maybe in a superficial way. Uh, but I think, I think what we have to to ask is, is what does the what is the central person we're talking about stand for? And I think that what Grant stood for, uh, Grant would never say some of the things about a pit of excrement and, and so forth. Um, one of the things that struck me about Grant and continues to do so is that he did not seem to have really uh, a prejudice bone in his body um, uh, on the on the question of race. Um, and uh, if, you, if you look at Charles Sumner and, and his critique of, of the Santo Domingo, uh, the effort to annex Santo Domingo, Sumner projected himself as the defender of the Black Republic of Haiti. Uh, and yet, in, in some of the, the speeches he made, uh, he liked to say that, that blacks were more suited for the tropics than white, and that it was their natural place to be. And, and Grant never never uh, engaged in that kind of uh, talk. Uh, Grant um, had had, as we well know, total sympathy with the former slaves, uh, and indeed one of the most important aspects of his argument in favor of the annexation of Santo Domingo was that he saw it as a potential refuge for uh, African Americans in the southern states who were being mistreated and oppressed. He thought that if 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 they could, they could go to a new state of Santo Domingo, uh, or if not, the threat to go might leverage for them uh, better treatment in the southern states. And um, uh, he did not bring to bring to uh, his notion of of uh, uh, the value of annexing Santo Domingo any sense of of. Um, of uh, racial prejudice, or, or anything of that nature, and, and mm-hmm. Sumner, for all of his his uh, talk and and I believe uh, actions as his uh, in the in the legislative process in favor of of uh, abolition and uh, then uh, um, uh, the former slaves after the after the war, um, still there, there seemed to be this this sense that you know they were different. Uh, and Grant, Grant, I think, didn't actually share that uh, 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 feeling that, that seemed to be buried within Sumner, like so many uh, in the Northeastern elite. There, there's so much in this book we could talk for three hours, and dang, we only have 15 minutes. Um, what is, what would, in your view, was the greatest accomplishment of the Grant administration? That's... Probably the the settlement of the Alabama claims. Uh, you know, 
trying to pick out the best of this or the best of that is, is I think, sometimes a, a difficult thing to do because there are aspects of some issues in which uh, uh, the final result may not have, have, have uh, been what Grant wished, but, but his fight for it along the way uh, was very good. And that, that I think, we could say uh, about Reconstruction. He, he was a strong supporter of Reconstruction. Uh, even before he was president, uh, uh, there's very strong evidence that he worked closely with the Republicans in, in Congress to, to, to um, develop the Reconstruction Acts. And then he, when he became president, he, he uh, supported the 15th Amendment, getting, getting that through, pushing that through a couple of state legislatures that were dragging their feet, uh, getting enforcement legislation on the books, using troops, prosecuting the Klan, all of these things. What we know, of course, is that that effort ultimately failed, and uh, uh, largely because of the total recalcitrance of, of the White South and, and the complicity, ultimately, of some people in Grant's own party, the so-called liberal Republicans who decided that, that it was better to let this sort of better sort in the South rule than, than uh, the former slaves and, and their allies. Um, but even though that failed ultimately in the Grant administration, uh, that that's that a so pro- slow progression of Republican regimes falling and Democratic uh, state governments taking over, um, the fight that Grant made uh, in some ways I think can serve as an inspiration for the fight that continues to go on um, in, in the realm of, of race relations in this country. I mentioned the, the Alabama claims. Uh, that's yeah. what I think is greatest foreign policy achievement. Did you did you want to ask something about that well, other? Uh, uh, it, we'll get back to Alabama if we have time. But uh, certainly, Reconstruction is central. The um, the idea that uh, there is a, a tragic inevitability reading chapter after chapter, as you say, each. Uh, former Confederate state falls under uh, conservative white Democratic control and civil rights are rolled back and uh, black voters and, and white Republican voters are intimidated. The uh, uh, To see Grant's efforts uh, stymied not as much by the opposing party but by those in his own party, as you cite, the liberal Republicans as they were known, uh, who disagree with Grant over civil service reform, but even there you you argue that Grant wasn't opposed to civil service reform. It, it's it's largely personal, it seems in many cases. People like uh, like like Sumner in particular or Carl Schurz, who would rather go down with their flag flying uh, and let the the Democrats uh, take over and repeal reconstruction altogether uh, than support Grant. Who, who, for whom they have such personal distaste. Uh, it, it yeah, there's an element of that. I, I think it's a strong element. Um, they did think they were better than he was. Um, and I think a lot of them were just simply disappointed. It, they, it, Grant, Grant was able to manage the government without them. And that, that really, I think, uh, made them, uh, upset them more than anything. And they didn't get the patronage uh, perks that they thought they deserved. These were the so-called best men of the time. They're the, the ones who were supposed to have the intelligence and the, and the experience and, and the, uh, you know, the philosophical understanding of government to, to really uh, put the country on the road to, to uh, greatness. And um, 
they, they expected to, to get a lot of appointments for this, uh, you know, for themselves and their friends. And, and uh, as I said, Sumner wanted to be Secretary of State. They didn't, they didn't persuade Grant that, that he really needed them. And um, uh, he had another notion about um, the kind of people he wanted in, in his administration. Some of, them were, some of them were actually of that class, like Hamilton Fish, probably the greatest Secretary of State of the 19th century, uh, and who stuck with Grant all eight years. Uh, but interestingly enough, Sumner absolutely hated uh, Charles, uh, 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 Hamilton Fish, who um, they had been friends in the 1850s, but he thought he had betrayed uh, you know, sort of the elite by, by throwing in with Grant. There was a strong personal animosity, but, but also um, I think this disappointment over of being overlooked, shall we say. Now, uh, on the Alabama claims, uh, let me throw out a comment and then ask a different question. Uh, some listeners might go, oh yeah, the Alabama, the Commerce Raider, that's the big accomplishment that Britain paid a few dollars for the damage done by the Alabama. But you, you make a cogent argument that the treaty not only settled those claims, but also set up uh, the beginning of the, the U.S.-Great Britain relationship that would last through two world wars and was, was very significant beyond just its technical aspects with the Alabama. But I have to ask this, because this is what people know about Grant or think they know about Grant. Uh, Hamilton Fish was a great choice, but a lot of the choices that Grant made, the people uh, that he stood by, turned out not to be uh, great choices. Uh, Orville Babcock as aide, or uh, Secretary for Belknap. Uh, these people brought Grant a lot of difficulty. They did, and uh, Orville, Orville Babcock, I think, was was the biggest mistake. Um, he was you know, a fairly young man. Uh, he just fresh out of West Point when he went into the army. Got on Grant's staff and worked very hard for Grant and, and was very close to Grant. Um, but he, he, he was out for himself. And uh, uh, it, 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 it's a great shame that his own personal character was, was lacking uh, because Grant, I think, in assembling this staff, this White House staff, really was sort of moving the, the presidency up to another level in the sense that... Uh, uh, with the complexity of problems growing uh, in the United States and the and the complexity of the of the issues on the president's plate, he needed a larger staff. He needed people to help him uh, uh, navigate through issues and and relate to the other branches of government and so forth. Um, but as it turns out, Babcock, who was I think a a a. Uh, uh, a man of bad character uh, was a poor choice, but he but he served his president very very well, and he knew that's how he could keep his job. And and toward the end of the administration, of course, we have the whiskey ring, and Grant, uh, excuse me, Babcock was involved in it. Uh, I have no doubt, uh, and was tried for his involvement. Grant testified on his behalf, and this is this is seen as something you know what a what a flaw in his own character that he was. That he would stand up for this this man. I think part of that is, and, and I agree that it is it is, you know, certainly more than questionable that he should have done that. But I think putting that in a larger context, 
This comes after seven years of the most severe condemnation by people like Sumner, Sumner and Adams, and certainly the Democrats who, who uh, uh, criticized Grant unmercilessly unmerc- and, and mm-hmm. in the press and so forth. And, and uh, uh, I think that, and, and he felt much of that criticism was unjustified, and, and I think some of it was unjustified. So that when he gets to this point with, with Babcock, he actually convinced himself that the, the, the uh, prosecution was really aimed at, much as, at him as much as at ba- Babcock, and, and, and um, he reacted accordingly. And, and it, it, it's too bad uh, for his own reputation that that, that was the case, but in some, in some ways it's understandable, given what he had been put through, he thought unjustifiably, for seven years. Let me ask, uh, in our last couple minutes, the, the Civil War time talk radio time machine question uh, that I, used to be a regular feature here. If you could go back in time for 30 minutes and talk to someone from the past other than U.S. Grant, uh, who in that era would you want to talk to? Hmm. That's, a, that's, a, that's an excellent question. Uh, I, I would want to talk to someone who was, who was close to him. You know, we have Hamilton Fish's diary, but Hamilton Fish, he recorded a lot of things in that diary, but I think he held back some things. And I would like to speak with him to sort of probe him a little bit more uh, pointedly about uh, some of the events that took place uh, to see whether uh, he could shed more light on, on what was happening. Um, you know, Grant... Grant was a loyal person. Uh, he was, he was um, you know, committed to people who were, who were loyal to him. But I don't see him having really, really close friends. He, I mean, he did have uh, uh, Admiral Ayman and, and, and others who, who were longtime friends. But, but at least in the research I was doing, it, you, you don't see it coming out that uh, he has bosom buddies that he's with a lot of the time. Uh, and and so to go to someone like that and say, what do you really think of this guy uh, would be tough. We have Julia Grant's memoirs, uh, which I used only sparingly because they're kind of over the top uh, in, in kind of gushy language that uh, I think maybe um, made them unreliable in, in her perception of what was going on. But, but yeah, that's a, that's a very tough question in, in the case of Grant. Well, Fish is certainly an interesting uh, character, and one of many of the characters that that circulate around U.S. Grant in this book. It is certainly worthy of its its esteemed series, the uh, U.S. Presidency series by uh, Kansas uh, University Press of Kansas, uh, and it is it takes a a story that that we think we know, and and turns out to go back to first sources, go back to primary sources and show maybe we don't know what we thought we did. Maybe there's another story here. Uh, the listeners, if you want to know about the presidency of U.S. Grant, this is the book with which to start. Uh, it is by Charles W. Calhoun, our guest tonight, uh, and I, I highly recommend it. You will not be sorry to have read it. And Chuck, I wish we had more time to talk, but thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. And listeners, as always, 
Thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.